Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Adam White and Jeremy Smith. Love is in the air, and what can romance be without Paris? Well, hopefully some Parisians can bring that city of love feeling to what will be likely a rainy Manchester. But before that, and the league on weekend that was, here are the latest headlines. Marseille made it two wins in a row for the first time since November as they won away at Dijon 2-1. Jordan Murray put the hosts ahead, but goals from Mario Balotelli and Lucas Acampos sealed the win for Luan. On Saturday, Paris Saint-Germain got back to winning ways in the league, at least with a 1-0 victory over Bordeaux. Many big names were rested ahead of their trip to Old Trafford to face Manchester United tomorrow, but they did not come out completely unscathed with goal scorer Edison Cavani a serious doubt with a hip injury. Elsewhere, Amiel claimed a huge three points as Musa Kanate's goal for the first time as he started since October earned them a 1-0 win over fellow strugglers Con, who fall into the relegation zone, while Strasbourg lose for only the second time in 2019 as Angers took a 2-1 victory. On Sunday, Monaco were denied a second win in a row under the second reign of Leonardo Jardim as Andy Delors' late penalty helped Montpellier to a 2-0 draw while Jemison saw red in the final moments. While Nîmes came from two goals down against Nantes in the first half to fight back in the second period to win 4-2 with late goals from Jordan Ferry and Salah Tioub. Lille extended their lead in second, at least, as they beat bottom side Gangop 2-0, while Rennes prepared for their Europa League tie with Real Betis with a thumping 3-0 victory over Saint-Étienne. In the final match of the weekend, Lyon followed up last week's big win with another slip-up as Nice won 1-0 at home. Remy Walter's uh, second-half penalty was enough for Patrick Vieira's men to join the melee of four teams on 37 points, fighting it out for the Europa League spot. And that's all for now, but do keep up to with date with the, uh, the news in the world of French football. The best way to do that is heading over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with a look forward to that Champions League game coming up tomorrow evening as Paris Saint-Germain will be taking on Manchester United. And Adam, they prepared for that with a somewhat fortunate, but also you could have said maybe on another occasion it could have been two, three or four against a Bordeaux side that didn't really test what was a, a, a weakened Paris Saint-Germain side, but more concerning for them really is they probably wanted to get out of this game, as you could see from the starting lineup they chose, um, without any further injuries. But unfortunately, that's not quite been the case. No, it hasn't. As you mentioned in the in the build up there, that uh, Anissa Cavani is uh, is out. Uh, Thomas Munier as well. Um, not that he, he would have started, but another injury concern for PSG. And, and obviously, although those are the only two aside from Neymar, it, it's 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 pretty pretty affecting for Thomas Tuchel. Um, because I, I was sort of thinking about this today and, and he sort of started off, took, we'll start off with this sort of a very sort of fluid idea about what he was going to choose for his, 
his sort of setup and his formation. He sort of used uh, a four-three-three, a four-two-three-one, a, a three-five-two, and var- variants of, a, of the three-man centre back. And he settled on this four-two-two-two, I guess it is, with with two defensive midfield or two sort of sitting midfielders and two attacking sort of wide-ish midfielders, which are usually in Di Maria and and Neymar, and then two strikers. And it sort of suits the all of their better players, PSG. Um, and, and gets the best out of them. And it, even if that means pushing Marquinhos into midfield, it, it's it's worked well and it's still adaptable enough for them to sort of adopt varying approaches. But without Neymar, that could have been covered by the, how well Julian Drax is playing. Uh, you, can, you could slot him into very similar on the left-hand side of those two attacking midfielders. But without Anderson Cavani, it really throws off the balance of the set, of the setup. And Kylian Mbappe is without a partner. Uh, unless you feel Derek Maxson chief promoting, but he had a poor game at the weekend, and I don't know if he's suited to starting a game this magnitude. Um, although, although you know, a thoroughly decent player, but whether he's a Champions League knockout starter is is another question. So it really means that the Tuchel is going to have to rethink his his not necessarily his approach. He can play in a similar way, but the 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 the, the style of of the of the setup is is going to have to change and and pretty rapidly. Um, I guess thinking thinking along those lines in, in such a short space of time, having expected Cavani and Mbappe to be paired up front for this game, and and it's sort of the whole team kind of built around that kind of idea. Uh, changing those ideas is going to be tough, and and Cavani's arguably as big a miss as Neymar as a result, um, given that that it's going to instigate quite a lot of change in in the team, and it looks like such a weaker eleven even without Cavani in it. Um, the, the 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 probable uh, setup that Lakeith have been uh, talking about just looks like such a weaker team than PSG have been feeling for the rest of the year. So not for the first time they're sort of hamstrung by injuries and in, in the when it really matters the most. In fact, the only time it matters for them is this round, this all the quarterfinals that these two games have sort of defined their season so far in the last few or four years, three three or four years. So a massive miss, arguably as big as Neymar, and, and it arguably makes Manchester United favourites now. And it throws a couple of extra spanners in the works, really, Jez, because other than obviously the missing of Neymar, I don't think Mooney is going to be an enormous miss because you would expect Danny Alves to be the one starting, really, given their previous experience. But at the same time, when you add into the fact that Verratti's back in the side, but he's only just come back from what has been a pretty lengthy layoff, which is unsurprising for the Italian, really, in, in recent years, unfortunately. And then the space next to him in midfield, Marquinhos was rested completely the weekend, but whether he'll come in or whether they would try and risk someone like Paredes straight away into the side, it, it sort of throws off a little bit of the pattern. And then the other question mark is, and it seems like a strange one given his talent as well, is is Mbappe through the middle on his own? It's it's not really a role he's been used to. I mean, his best work has sort of worked in a two or I suppose a right of a three at least, but it, it, it poses some interesting questions, not just with those players missing, but what to do with those players that um, have come back and, and what to use them for. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Mbappe is obviously a, you know, what a, a brilliant player he is, and perhaps more importantly, what a brilliant big game player he is. Um, I don't, I don't think he'd have any trouble um, playing the, the low role up front, although obviously it's not ideal because it's, you know, he's, he's played in the centre before, but usually with someone else, and this is relatively new to him. I think he can probably adapt. But the problem is the other players around him. Um, the idea would, would have been obviously to have Cavani there, not only because you've got a, a dual threat of two world-class goal scorers, and Cavani really has been in, in superb form since the turn of the year, but you've also got Mbappe coming in from the right. And as it is, um, you know, PSG have been 
certainly hamstrung by injuries. But yet again, um, we say every year that this is the most important match of the year for them. And, and yet again, um, it feels a bit like certain chickens are coming home to roost. And um, while while it is really bad luck that Verratti, Neymar and Cavani are out, the fact that um, they're having to play with Marquinhos, who's a defender in midfield, and it looks like Alves, who's a defender even further forward, um, I think is, is also... I think it also speaks a lot about the, the mistakes that they've made in the transfer market in the last few years. Um, and I th- my concern is, I mean, I, I still think there'll be a threat going forward. They've still got players who can, um, who can score goals. And Di Maria's been in good form this year. And Draxler obviously isn't a Neymar, as, as he himself acknowledged today. But I still think he's a very talented footballer. But another thing that worries me about the fact that Cavani isn't there is that he's always been the first line of defence. Um, I was reading some stats today about how, I think, against between the two matches against Strasbourg and Ren recently, he actually intercepted um, six passes. And it's his harrowing, which um, firstly kind of is... is uh, Sort of not an obstruction, but it stops the the opponent um, setting up on attack freely, and you know having to to play much more one touch football from from their own area, which is always a risk. But it also gives the rest of the PSG team the, tr- the chance to to get back in position. Um, and considering there'll be a few players um, playing in unfamiliar positions, and also players like Verratti, who, who as we said is not entirely match fit yet, um, that kind of extra time um extra panic if you want from the other side would have would have been really important to psg i think and, and uh, that's my concern as much as anything else as, as uh, we, we've always joked about it and, you know, d- during periods of bad form on his part we said oh Cavani would be a better right back than a striker that kind of thing you know flippancy aside he's a fantastic striker but i think he's so much more important than that for psg um, and, and for me, that's another concern. They're losing their, their first line of defence, and um, you know, I, I don't think Mbappe is going to be minded to to trap back. And there's no reason really why I should do as the central striker. But um, Alves, although he's a defender in name, um, I, I, I'm still not 100 percent sure about um, his sort of defensive discipline if he's playing a forward role. Di Maria um, shows good heart, but isn't isn't the strongest defender it's another concern going into the match and um, I kind of agree with Adam I'm not sure about Man United being favourites but there's no doubt that this tie is a hell of a lot closer than it looked like it was going to be when when the draw was made Absolutely and coming back to you really quickly Jez before we talk about the the team they're facing really thinking about PSG and the the fact that they are missing um, Neymar and, and now Cavani as well so a lot of the attacking impetus has been done and, and we know how positive PSG tend to try and play but we also saw how, how badly that worked in the Champions League against a team like Liverpool that were on a big higher and do have speed on the counter-attack which is very much the type, kind of play that, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is looking to try and do in that speed on the, on the attack that Manchester United at the moment does maybe Tuchel think about switching the the mentality of the players to maybe, especially while they're away from home without those two available, to maybe being a little bit more conservative and maybe trying to, like say, hit them on the break rather than being so gung-ho? Or is that not something that PSG can do? 
I think that uh, PSG, I mean, obviously they shouldn't go gung-ho, but I think they should play to their strengths. And for me, even without um, Neymar and, and, and Cavani, I still think their strength is, is going forward. Um, I still worry about that defence. I still, I mean, I know it's a new point now because many is injured, but I just, I just don't understand how either Kera, who I think is talented but very raw, or Alves could ever be considered um, a starter ahead of Mignolet. Um, I still think Marquinhos, not to the same extent as as, as how we've spoken about Luis Gustavo in Marseille, but I still think playing Marquinhos in, in midfield. Like, well, it doesn't. We can't say it weakens the mid, midfield because there's no other options. But it's not his best position, and I think it's taken PSG's best defender out of defence. Um, and uh, I worry that um, that Man United's midfield could could overrun PSG's midfield in the form that Pogba's in at the moment. Um, I worry a bit about Martial against uh, uh, against Kera as well. I think both teams, it reminds me in a way of uh, when when Monaco and Man City played each other a couple of years ago. It feels like there's absolutely no doubt there's going to be a lot of goals in this tie because I'm very unconvinced about both defences, but I think both both attacks are, are, um, are very impressive. And yeah, I'd, I'd worry a bit about PSG sort of trying to keep it tight because I'm not 100% sure they're capable of doing so. Mm. Just as hit on a point which I was going to bring to yourself, Adam, really, that their opponents, Manchester United, have been in a, a great run of form under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 24 points from 27 get, uh, available so far in the Premier League, at least through the Cup, as well against Arsenal, which is not always the easiest tie sometimes. And they tie against Chelsea to come in the games against Liverpool. So they're coming thick and fast for them. And I know you watch them as much as I do, to be fair. Yeah. But they, they, they have been really entertaining to watch again but still there is that twinge of concern even in the win against Fulham that ended up being 3-0 there were still plenty of chances for the for the home side in that game and that still should give cause for concern yeah from from a Manchester United point of view definitely I think you can still create chances against them and the, the, although Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done brilliantly and and he's done the right thing and played to the, his squad strengths which is which is definitely not what Mourinho did um Although I, I have a feeling, I have a, I've always had a sort of a slight sort of misunderstanding of how the, the board thought Jose Mourinho was going to play out. If you get Jose Mourinho, you know he wins the way that Jose Mourinho wins and you get him the players that make Jose Mourinho win. You buy him experienced players, <clears throat> you, buy him, you buy him the defenders he wants. Um, and you, you let him do it his way. Otherwise, you know, it, it all implodes, which is inevitable. And and to not get him the players that he wanted, which meant the United defence is pretty weak, it just seemed suicidal to me. I didn't really understand that at all. But in the cases carried, that carry case is carried over to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tenure, um, the, the defence remains a little bit porous. And, and you know, right, Fulham, there was one that one one or two chances very early on um, at Craven Cottage, which perhaps Fulham should have taken. It might have been a different game if, if, if they had. Um, but I, I mean, I've been impressed with Victor Lindelof over the last few months. I think he's really grown into uh, into the role and, and assumed responsibility that perhaps he either wasn't given the opportunity to or perhaps was a little bit inexperienced to previously having signed from Benfica. He's been really good. Um, although he lacks a partner, and I think... Um, that whoever plays alongside him, whether it's Bailly or, or Jones or, or Smalling, um, they, they can be got at by whoever plays up front for, for, for PSG. And 
Um, although Shaw and Young uh, are very competent players, and I, I like Luke Shaw, I think he's I think he's a really good uh, defender and, and play, and he's very well suited to a left back, that left back role in, in a four. Not particularly good at wing back, but um, I, I think you could get in behind both those players. So I think there are opportunities there for, for PSG, absolutely. And Matic is pretty, he's not particularly mobile. Um, Herrera is liable to get himself booked if not sent off. So I think there are opportunities there, but it's whether you know um these two teams go punch sort of punch for punch if you like and who's got who's got the most firepower i think but um so i think this is one area the PSG can be positive about because i think their defense is clearly better than manchester united's but this is counteracted by the fact that manchester united have a little bit more experience in playing against teams who will do things to them that PSG will try and do if you see what i mean whereas PSG don't and i think Thiago Silva is a really good example of this he's improved this season to a certain point, look like the player that the rest of the world thinks he still is, even though he hasn't been for several years in France. But in recent times, he started to look nervy. And you, you, you in the like, last few games, like you put him under pressure, he and those alongside him, Jez mentioned that Kerr is still pretty raw. Marquinhos isn't playing in defence. Kimpembe, I think, has been poor for quite a while at, in that in that defence too. I, I argue that it's still superior to Manchester United's, but I think you, there are opportunities there for Rashford and, and Martial and Pogba to get at them too. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I just have that feeling that the key battle, I think Joe's pointed out earlier, is that Pop is in such great form. Will Marquinhos be good enough as a defensive midfielder to, to keep him out of the game? Because if he can keep him quiet um, and not allow him to start dictating games, because even in, in sort of, even though if he has a quiet first half, he seems to slowly get into it as he gets more and more space. So if Marquinhos can shut him down, it makes a massive difference to, to Manchester United. But let's get some predictions. I'm pretty sure both of you seem like you're leaning towards high-scoring games, which is I'm thinking as well. So do tune in on tomorrow night. Uh, Jez, what do you think the score will be? Um, uh, <laughs> you build me up now, but yeah. um, I mean, I'm not sure that high-scoring, but I, um, three goals. I, don't know, I, I think 2-1 to Man United. Adam? 3-1 Man United, I think. I'm going to be more conservative and say 2-2, I think. I think that um, it just feels that, that, that now against more quality opposition that that defence of Manchester United might be tested a little bit stronger. But um, I just feel like as well that the midfield of Manchester United at the moment just might sort of overrun that midfield of um, PSG, depending on obviously how Tuchel sets up. If it's maybe a three-man midfield, they might have a little bit more security. But it's certainly going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, on to... Matters back in league, uh, and we're going to really focus on the relegation fight to the well this evening because this it's starting to slowly hot up. And even for a couple of the sides, they have games um, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Can't play on Wednesday night on one of their rescheduled games against Nantes, and then the week after, Gangomp have their game in hand against Bordeaux, and both of them really need them at the moment, really. Uh, Jez, because both of them are in the bottom two, as you would need, but they're starting to see others pick up points. But starting with Gangomp, who had their moments against Lille really at the weekend, they were a little bit unfortunate in the first half. Rafael Leal was pretty good as well, but they went behind, and then they had a couple of chances in the second half, and Lille only got that second goal in the in the sort of dying moments. But it's another one of those opportunities slipped away and. With them also going sort of through in the cup, it's almost like a, a distraction for them as they head into sort of the finals of that. They, at least they're out of the, the Coupe de France, but it, it's starting to dig into their own hole. And like you say, it's, it, like we've said about Monaco the last couple of weeks, it's not 
an insurmountable mountain to climb but as the games tick by and and the chances keep going it, it's getting more and more desperate for them to actually do something about it yeah the, the problem is that each week even if it's only one um, one of their relegation rivals keeps winning obviously that's more likely to happen as they start playing each other but you know in recent weeks Samia Dijon Monaco they've all they've all grabbed the win somewhere and and Gagant aren't and while they're sort of just about clinging on it's, it's gradually you know the, that, that 17th place or even 18th is just gradually getting a little bit further and further away and, and as you said they, they can sort of cling on at least in terms of uh, say Amiens and Monaco they can cling on to the fact that they've got a game in hand but um, you know, possibly at that end of the table at this stage of the season you'd rather have, you'd rather have points and um, it's <laughs> I think they are improving. They're looking a little bit tighter at the back, um, and you know, they're showing some hints of talent at the front. I've said before, I've never been absolutely convinced about Turad, but I actually think he is, he is starting to lead the line quite well. But um, they just look a little bit short of options, and I guess it's it's hard to judge them against Lille because Lille are kind of rampant at the moment. And you know, look, you look at Lille's goal, I think. When teams are starting to score goals, which which involve dummies, I think that that really shows that they're they're they're, they're at the top of their game, and you know, the the front the front players are really on the same sort of um, <laughs> kind of telepathic level, and that's that's always going to be hard to to play against. And then, as, as you said, when Gangon did have chances, Turan scored, and it was I think rightly just ruled offside. Uh, Menti got a touch and was offside, and then when it looked certain that they'd scored, Menyon just came out with an outstanding save. So that there's frustrations there because they're not playing that badly, but they've just left themselves with a lot to do. Um, and I mean, look at the matches they've got in the next few weeks. There are winnable matches. I think the next two, Lyon, Bordeaux, are tough, but there are the next four really are winnable and I think those four they've got Angers and Nantes at home Toulouse away and then Dijon home I think they, they really need to get a decent haul from those if, if they if they fail to then then I think they're probably gone yeah Adam it, like much like Jez is saying it starts to get desperate and you think that all those games leading up to the cup final really are, are really crucial for them because if they don't start getting a run there and uh, let's say uh, regardless of what happens in that cup final they've, they're sort of out of the league picture for a moment and the pressure comes back on again and when you've only got eight games left after that regardless of, of the sort of opponent they have left it will depend on who's above them. I mean, in that last run-in, they've got Caen still there, and they've got Amiens to face on the last day of the season. But you don't want to be relying on those kind of games at that stage of the season, do you? No, I don't think you do. And I, I think for, for Gangon, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, there are, there are opportunities, you know, coming up. And, and, and the, the, I think with the, with the, 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 the cup final, it's going to be... It's, it's almost bad. It's almost a hindrance. It's almost something that's going to get in the way of... Of of their the focusing on their survival, fight. I don't know that necessarily it's it's, it's it's a positive in 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 sort of general terms, but I don't know if it's conducive to the to the rest of the season playing out as as they would hope. Because I'm sure that that the club, pretty much everybody at the club, would take um, survival over. Uh, uh, well, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't take survival over winning the cup, but they certainly take survival over the final. 
Uh, and I, I just feel that I, I, when there's often when teams get in a situation that then a lot of focus seems to be sort of moved towards that big game and, and it detracts from from other games, players perhaps not wanting to get injured. Um, perhaps, you know, questions are asked more and more about that game in the press and managers and players are thinking about it more and it just sort of detracts. And for Gangon's point of view, I, I think one of their biggest worries is that everybody above them is going to get away from them because there are obviously obviously the bottom two go down the third place is is a playoff place but i think i think from Toulouse upwards everybody should be pretty confident of staying up Toulouse in 14th with 27 points and then nantes are a little obviously a little bit of an unusual case because it's going the 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 club obviously are in have been completely devastated by the emiliano sala situation and it would be difficult to see how that affects their the the rest of their season and and not to mention the fact that they're they're kind of lacking a striker um which which it's uh, i don't know if khalifa koulibaly is going to be able to fill those those very very big shoes from 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 the first half of the season so they they might get sucked in um but i would imagine amion have got enough to stay up i think godos and and canate a really good partnership and now they're both back in the team you know they got the goal at the weekend a brilliant cross and a fantastic header if they stay fit i think they'll be fine i think they're 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 the quality that keep them up Dijon are perhaps a worry, but Monaco will be fine, I think, now that Jardim's back and they've got the they've got such better players in over the over the transfer window. So it's really only Con, Dijon, and Gangon I I can see being sort of fighting out at the bottom. And I would argue that Con and Dijon just have better teams. <laughs> they've just got better, much more quality. And and Dijon in particular, Anton Kumbari, I I'd, I'd expect him to keep them up. So I I'm worried that the that Gangon could 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 get sort of stranded whether they start winning or not and um that that situation could accentuate itself before the cup final and around whatever happens there so it's they need to find some way to switch their focus back towards the 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 league um um but i, I don't know if that's possible and and it might be too late by the time that this foray around the the league cup final is over mm, yeah it's getting like i say whenever it, the team at the bottom of the league it starts getting bleaker and bleaker and bleaker but looking at the team just above them um jess and we adam's touched upon the game that they played at the weekend really and we'll, we'll talk about amion again with adam in a moment but uh, we talked about on the previous show how big a game it was between con and amion and, and it was a much as we really anticipated it was pretty bad to be fair the game didn't really have that many moments but it was the two players that we pointed out who were missing from Amion and made the difference and at the moment that's what Cole are missing and at the same time as well there was a report on West France um, um, the other day well, yesterday actually that um, the boss Fabian Merchelal, um has been told to win six points from the next three league games or face the sack. And those <laughs> those games and uh, the games that we mentioned previously against Nantes, against Strasbourg, against Toulouse are really important. But at the same time, if he does go after those three games, if he doesn't pick up the six points, it's a real gauntlet of PSG, Rennes, Saint-Étienne and, and Monaco for a new manager to come in. So they, they seem like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place now. Yeah, I think that the weekend match kind of summed up exactly what is going to keep the team up and, and what might condemn them. Um, you know, we've seen it before. We talked last year about how important Toko Kambi was for Angers. We talked, um, well, as, as Adam just alluded to, how important um, Sal- Salah was for non scoring half their goals. And we might touch on it later. It feels like to. to I agree with Adam that I think Toulouse have just about got enough, but um, how many times does it does it feel like Grey Dead has saved them and no one else is capable of scoring? 
you know, the, the fact that Amiab got Konate back and fit might be absolutely crucial. You know, he's a classy striker and he showed again in a match with very few chances created from either side. Um, you know, a, a really good, strong, um, clever header was the difference between the teams. And I, th- we've, I think we said so many times on, on this show how um, can't got these middling strikers in Bovu and Crivelli and uh, Banu, but uh, I'm not sure any of them are, are, are quite good enough, in Bobby's case, maybe not good enough anymore, to, to sort of really step up and score those important goals that are going to keep them up. And um, yeah, a lot of the season, I think, does rest on the next three matches. Because, um, as you said, the four after that look really tough. And whether it's Mercadal or someone else, I, I don't think it makes much difference. Um, I think he's probably doing. Um, as well as can be expected with the, with the squad that he's got. And I'm not sure anyone else could, could do any better. I know that Gahan pulled it out of the bag the last couple of years, but, um, you know, at some point they're going to they're gonna run out of lives. Yeah, and it, it feels strange for them to do an ultimatum on those kind of games because while they are ones that they really want to be picking up points and winning, it, it seems like the man coming in is just going to get the same problems that those next four games you really lucky if you're going to be picking up two points really never mind any sort of three point or anything like that so it's it just seems like a odd decision to put it in that moment but as for Amion um, Adam massive win and, and perfect time for the two players to be coming back we've said how much they've missed Canate we've said um, I said previously that Godosh needed to do a bit more and, and now he's back from the African Cup of Nations he picks up the assist as well are those two maybe just going to be enough for them to, to stay above the dot line? You, you certainly think so, but they've still got a real well, a, a running that at the moment, at least anyway, the next couple of games are going to be sort of stilting that momentum. Is that not maybe holding back on your optimism? Um, perhaps. You're right. There are obviously the, there are some Europe's. You're right. There are some difficult games to come, but I just think that, Amion have a very thin squad, and they have resources are minimal, and they're 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 under a national side. They got promoted two years, two seasons in a row. Last season was their first league and season, and and clubs like Amion, um, their sort of key players, um, especially when you have a such a close knit, such a small kind of squad that uh, Christopher Plissier has has built, um, th- those key players become ever more important. And Canate missed what sort of 14 15 games and Godos was away for six or seven games over the uh over the over the winter with the, the Asian Cup and th- those two players together um without them they they lost all their attacking edge uh, completely evaporated um they're the main assist provider and their main goal scorer and they don't have the players to replace them perhaps other teams further at the table might not have equally good players but they have better stand-ins and um, I know that Cheg Tamiti, who came in from from the the, the youth ranks and, and has done, has did well in the team. But I, I don't know that he's a he's a league striker just yet. Still twenty one. Juan Otero went off went off form a little bit. They've only obviously just signed Serge Garassi, who, who looks decent, but was not not particularly prevalent in the in the on the con side uh, of late. And that kind of left them with just Steven Mendoza. So they they just. They couldn't get forward. They couldn't create chances, and they just kept being pushed back. And and despite the fact they're still extremely organised, they're still very competitive in midfield. They've got good individual defenders. I like uh, I like Prince Guano, uh, and I, I quite like Emil Kraft as well. And Gutner's a good keeper, but they just got overwhelmed because they just had no no outboard, no quality to keep the ball up the field. So with them in the team, I think they offer that. And Palicia can go back to the the very sort of 
intelligent, stoic performances, eking the best out of his squad with uh, with a cutting edge with Canate and Godos up front. So I, I think they'd be pretty confident of, of comfortably avoiding relegation um, from now on, uh, from my point of view. But the, 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 the tricky thing is that they do have a difficult running, as you mentioned, um, which is something that they can't legislate for because obviously the, the, the period where they had those players, they, they played the games perhaps they would have wanted with the full team. And um, so it's obviously a little bit of an unbalance there, but I still think they're, they're good enough to get enough points to see them through. Absolutely. Looking at Monaco now, Jess, because there's still a few teams hovering around these relegation players. But Monaco, we we mentioned again on the preview show that they needed to keep uh, momentum going. And I even mentioned that a draw would be nice, but it will almost feel like a loss to them losing it so late on. And also for Jermison to have a silly red card, really, in all honesty. I mean, he got a second yellow, but it could have quite easily been a red if, uh, if the referee looked at that on uh, on VAR afterwards. So, uh, Again, they they created a lot more. They were pretty unlucky with a couple of the chances. They were probably really unlucky with the the first goal Montpellier gets. It's an, it's a certain penalty, and that's just what may frustrate Jardim. That while a point at Montpellier is no mean feat at all, it's so close to being three. Yeah, it's frustrating, but there, there, there's definitely signs of um, a big recovery, and I suppose that in a way coming away from a draw at Montpellier, having scored a couple and feeling frustrated is, is arguably a good sign of, of where they're at right now. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any, any worries at all for Monaco. I mean, I, I, the, the first goal I thought was awful defending on their part, so that still needs to be tightened up. And then the second was uh, a penalty after a, a bit of stupidity from Glick, which isn't the first time we've seen that this season. Subasic was... Uh, I suppose, depending on how generous you're being, is either unlucky or should have done a lot better with the penalty. It's just quite totally the line. But um, overall, things are a lot better. And I think Dezakarian complained after the match that Monaco basically got a completely new team and after the, the January transfer market and the market completely skews the league and it's not fair. To a very large extent, I agree with him. I'm not sure I entirely do just on the basis of this match because although within the squad there were a lot of newbies, um, there weren't actually that many starting. Um, if you, you know, players like Falcao, Golovin, the Super Six, they've only come back recently, but they were there the whole time. They were just injured. So I'm, I'm not sure that was entirely fair, but overall I, I, I do agree with him. I, I, and, it's just the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it, but it does feel slightly unfair that um, you know they completely stuffed up in the summer and they have the means that none of the teams around them do to completely start again from scratch and, and you'll probably get out. Well, I think certainly will get out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could look at, at the fixtures they've got coming up. I just, I really don't. Uh, I, I, I know it's a silly thing to say with them still, well, I think third and bottom, but. I just don't see them as relegation candidates anymore. No, and it's a fair point from De Zicarian, but at the same time, I always think that signing five, six, seven new players can be just a sort of destabilising sometimes for some teams. I'm sure even if some of the teams around there had the means to bring in that many players, even if they were of decent quality, it always doesn't 
guarantee success, especially when you have to gel them in and it has to be immediate. I get his point a little bit, but I suppose it's football at the end of the day, unfortunately, at the moment. But a team that sort of frustrate as much as they excite really sometimes is Adam is, is Dijon at the moment that we said after the win against Monaco that we thought maybe that that might be um, their turning point especially after the good results uh, around that result as well but they will be a little bit disappointed that they let that one slip against Marseille they had a couple of good chances as well while it was still 1-0 when it was even 1-1 as well um, and they always are usually a good side at, at home but uh, let that one slip away and it it doesn't really get much easier for them really but they've got Nîmes away Saint-Étienne Lille Reims at PSG before facing Gangomp in in sort of mid-March it's not exactly the right time for them to be wanting to to pick up points to start pulling away with Monaco on their heels no indeed and and um you're absolutely right I mean they could have got something from that Marseille game on Friday night um, and, you know, uh, a unfortunate loss at Angers the, the week before. Um, they're, they're, they're just one of those teams that, that I think will be there or thereabouts in the relegation fight until the end of the season. Although I, I think, as I mentioned previously, the fact that Anton Kambare is um, is their coach is, is, is a real positive. Um, he should be able to, um, to I, I would back him anyway, to, to be able to find a way to make this team a little bit more solid and but still maintain some of those sort of attacking kind of some of that attacking cohesion that they showed uh so much under Olivia Delalio. um and I think it might be there's a lot of, there's a lot of examples in football of of managers inheriting a team and their players at one end of the pitch even defensively or offensively continue to use the same ideas that the previous manager had instilled they're sort of hardwired in um, and you would hope that, and it, but then shifting the focus overall towards sort of the, the other the other end of the scale, and it sort of balances out. And you, I would hope that in very some very small way from Dijon's point of view that that happens. That you know players like Quan and Slitti and 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 uh, Media Bead and, and Samaritano when he's fit and Wesley so he continue to play in that same very free flowing style when they can. Um, but the team in general will be shifted towards a more defensive outlook, and, and hopefully that will balance out and and be enough to make them a little bit more sort of balanced. So um, I, I think Kumkar is a really good choice of coach. Um, but then saying this, then the, the spells that Lons didn't go well, got relegated with them. Gangon as well, obviously this season probably would have got relegated under him too. So he's obviously not, he's not like the, 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 the miracle survival coach, but I think it's a good fit and um, I, I'd still bat them to be okay. Mm, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they do run that what looks like a bit of a gauntlet for them really but um, mm. we should wait and see we'll save not for, for this week I think they're, they're just about teetering on the edge aren't they and, and uh, I know uh, Halil Hodges said uh, earlier this week that it's been really hard for his for his players to concentrate and, and no doubt about that and, but the, the defeat of the weekend were a really real um, hammer blow really because they were 2-0 up and to, to slip up in the second half so dramatically really and, and quite poorly in the end really but um you can't really bear the Canary players for having their minds uh, elsewhere at the moment. But we'll, we'll move on to um, looking uh, uh, also at Europe, but I suppose a little bit later this week on Thursday when Ren will be in action for the first time in a long while, really, in the knockout stages of the Europa League as they take on Real Betis. Um, it's a really interesting game, really, on this one. Jezza and Ren prepared for it in a pretty good way, although um, some will say that sort of Saint-Étienne were folding 
beneath the eye sort of in the last five or ten minutes. But they have the flair. They have a couple of injury worries. Both Borijo and uh, and Sivacho had to come off during the game and, and, and a serious doubts probably likely even to be out. But three wins on the trot at home and a fourth home game on the way. The omens are good, aren't they? Uh, I, th- I think the omens are very good for them. I, I, I have to say, I know if, if Rich is, is listening, he's not going to be too impressed with what I'm what I'm going to say. But uh, I sort of stand by what, what what I said last week in the in the preview show. If you can't be good, be lucky. And I'm not saying that Ren haven't been good and haven't been improved, but uh, they seem to be having a, a really good run of luck. It seems to me, and and possibly that that sort of reached its peak against Natetia. And firstly, the fact that Villa and Kasri, um, coincidentally, both ex-Ren players, but, but both were suspended. And then arguably, you know, there's a case for saying they've been Santetian's two best players this season. The fact that they were out obviously helped. And then, uh, I mean, it did feel like a lot was going against them referee-wise. Um, then, you know, great chance that it was unlucky to, to come off the post. Um, Subotic, okay, that, you know, that's not luck on men's side, but Subotic missing an absolute sitter. It just feels like a lot is going Ren's way at the moment. And then you know, two, two very late goals to, to make the, the scoreline a, a lot more flattering than, than, than the, the way the match actually panned out for, for the most part. Um, but all of that said, they are playing with a lot more solidity, a lot more sort of solidarity, they're looking more like a team. You know, they're still occasionally looking like they're, they're sort of um, not reliant, but players like Ben Arthur and Saar occasionally sort of flashes of brilliance um, uh, are kind of ma- are making the difference. But I guess you know that that that's what a team's about, and the rest of the team is is doing the business to make sure that. That when those players do those things like that, I'm sort of contradicting myself and kind of thinking aloud because it always annoys me when people say, "Oh, it's it, they off, off, a lot of the sort of anti-Genesio brigade say that about Lyon. Oh, they're not playing like a team; they're relying on flashes of brilliance from their players." Well, that's what part of being a team is about. So, you know, part some of the teams should do their bit, making sure that they're keeping clean sheets or keeping the scoreline down or whatever, and then providing for those players who can do those flashes of brilliance. Um, but I, I just feel like they're, they're almost there and, you know, the best way, they're improving as a team, they're improving as a sort of, uh, as a group playing together. And if they're having the luck to get the results, even while that's happening, then, then good for them. And, you know, arguably they and Marseille are the big winners of the weekend, um, in terms of how other, other results went around them. Obviously, Leon and Saint Etienne, um, uh, going down and uh, Montpellier only drawing. Um, they're, they're in a good place at the moment, but I'm still not 100% convinced it's purely based on how they're playing. I do feel that they're, they're certainly having more than a slice of luck at the moment. And we, we have talked previously about sort of their bounce back ability because they were terrific to start under Stefan. And then in January, it was a bit indifferent. There was a couple of losses here and there and a, a couple of draws that maybe they felt should have been wins and that, but three on the bounce is nothing to shake a, a stick at especially with how Santetian had been previously although they've sort of fallen off a little bit since that Leon result but they face 
Betis on on Thursday night. Uh, Adam, who have been a bit indifferent themselves. Like they, I think some span some of the Spanish listeners uh, would maybe claim them as a as a sort of Spanish Ren almost, especially in recent weeks. I mean, they beat Atletico Madrid um, a couple of Sundays ago. They were winning against Valencia in the Copa del Rey, but um, the classic, the sort of classic Kike Setien uh, overbearingness of, of going attack, 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 sort of paid them dividends in the last couple of minutes. And then at the weekend, they had a man sent off in three goals, letting against uh, a Leganes side, uh, doing relatively okay in, in Spain, but still disappointing, which they kind of brought the yin and the yang to them. And that's maybe where the positive may come from Rand that the set end sides are all really great to watch and strong going forward, but there is always a, a weak side to going the other way. Yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely where Ren fans will sort of draw some, some hope from because, you know, Kike Setien's Betis are an extremely interesting watch and, and on their day, a brilliant side, the win at the, the new camp, um, was it four, three, I think, um, really underline, you know, that the fact that they, when they're, they're on form, they, they really can, really can play. And, you know, they've got a lot of, um, interesting players, you know, you know, Giovanni La Chelsea has done really well since, since joining from PSG has been fantastic. Isa Mundi of, was at Rance and is a, is a stalwart for them and, and having a great season as well. Um, Sergio Canales is an absolutely fantastic year doing, doing really, really well for them. Um, playing, playing on the right and, and through the middle. He's, he's been fantastic. And I think that, um, Ren perhaps might have to sort of adapt their style a little bit to 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 face Betis and Betis. Although they're a little up and down in in the league, they've had a very good Europa League campaign so far. You know, coming through a tough group, which I think was Olympiacos and, and AC Milan, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head. Um, so this kind of competition does suit them, um, seemingly. And I think that for for Ren to to progress, then they're going to have to be very astute in the way they go about setting up their team to Juliet Zevin goes about setting up his team to play, to play Betis here um, over both legs. And um, they're going to have to find a way to, to sort of, sort of halt their, their sort of free flying, passing, high pressing, aggressive pressing style that they've got. Um, because it, theoretically, you know, it could, it could be very, very dangerous against a, a side like Wren. So, um, it'd be a really interesting game, but a really tough, really tough, uh, a really tough tie for them for Ren. Yeah, certainly one to keep your eyes on. I think with Ren getting players like Saw moving and Hatem Benoff has always been an entertaining watch, and I think Niang starting to find a little bit of form as well. Now he's playing a little bit more regularly. Then you add in Betis, who've got like you say a couple of uh, ex league players, and, and they can play such entertaining football themselves. It could be a real um, cracker. But sort of focusing back on. Liga matters because obviously um, they're in that fight for the Europa League place, as we mentioned, Jez. And really, in all honesty, even though Leon did lose, they're still six points ahead of Montpellier. So we'll sort of put that as the dividing line and everyone fighting for that fourth place. And Montpellier, um, Lever, Marseille, Nice are all on the same points with Rennes a point behind them. Strasbourg and Rats, two points back, oh, two points off those teams on 37. But for for Santetienne to start off with, it, it ended up a little bit tempestuous, really. They, they like you say, Subas, uh, um, Subotic has that great chance from a from a yard out that he spooned. Um, then Jean Louis Gasset got sent to the stands, and then Hamuma had a silly yellow card at the very last couple of minutes to to see red as well. Um, since that Leon game, where we said they should have taken taken a lot of pride from how they 
underperformed, even though they did end up losing it. They've sort of fallen off a cliff, really. They 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 managed to beat. Uh, they, they they lost in the cup to Dijon. They drew against Nantes the other week, and they've had a little bit of a today because of other um, suspended games, really. But three uh, 0 defeat to Rennes. Are the wheels maybe starting to fall off for them? Um, it's hard to say because. I, you'd hope that this isn't a reaction to the Lyon game because they, they were only un- relatively unlucky to, to, to go down so late in the match. And, okay, it hurts losing, losing to your rival, but you shouldn't be allowing that to affect um, the rest of your season. Uh, I think they, they probably have been a little bit affected by um, by the transfer window, a few, few ins and outs. Selnais, who... Is another who's been particularly good this season, pushing for a move, which looks like it's likely to happen now. Fado um, and I've been there coming in and, and having to, to acclimatise to a new team. Um, as I said, a couple of important um, suspensions as well. So um, I think it's, it's, it's a mixture of factors. There, there definitely has been a dip in form. There's been external factors as well. And again, the, the fact that despite all of that, they're still fifth. Um, with a with a game in hand over over Marseille and Nice just below and Rennes just below them puts them in a good position. But certainly they, they need to turn their form around quite quickly. And um, it would be interesting to see what what happens with, with uh, Gasse and Hanuma Gasse. Um, I you know I think I think it's quite uncharacteristic of him to, to sort of get get some of. Um, so he must have had reason to be worked up and Hanuma. Again, frustration, but no excuse for it, and, and he will be a loss because um, he's 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 always been one of those I think underrated players within Ligan. Um, he's had his injury niggles, but I think in recent weeks he's been possibly Walker better. So he's had a little bit of a dip in form. I think Nuno has come a little bit more to the fore, and and he could be a miss. So certainly they they need to stop the slide because they they're, they're absolutely still still in touch. Of course they are, but. Um, yeah, the, the, the last two, three weeks have not been impressive. And even, as you mentioned, the, the, the cut match, conceding six to, to Dijon is, is whoever, which, whichever players were fielded, that, that's not good. And even if it is just the cup and not their priority, that, that's got to affect their morale a little bit going into the league as well. Mm, absolutely, it's a strange one. These teams on thirty-seven are sort of in different points of form. Montpellier drew the game against Monaco and were pretty lucky, really. In all honesty, the penalties a lucky one, like we mentioned, and and other things going their way for that one to to even manage the point. But both of those two have a game in hand as well to try and catch up with Leon and also maybe assert themselves as Europa League contenders. But two, the other teams, teams below them. And we'll start with Marseille, really, Adam. I've sort of made a case in the last couple of weeks to to improve because Marseille, after what has been sort of an atrocious time for them, have got two wins in a row, which is sort of an oddity that it's taken so long to get to this stage. But at the same time, while there have been two wins, they've been a little bit unremarkable is maybe the best way of saying it. But a win's a win at the moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, that they'll sort of take any any win they can get, given how poor their their form has been. Before those two wins, I think they had one win since that win at Amiens in November, which is November the twenty fifth, I think, which is a considerable amount of gains for a club like Marseille. You know, they dropped back into mid table, but they've been pretty fortunate in that 
um, above them, perhaps Lille aside, that there's, there hasn't really been a form team. And that the, 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 from sort of, even from sort of Angers and Bordeaux up to third place, fourth place, uh, Montpellier at the moment, as you mentioned, none of those teams have really put a run together and they've all sort of concertina, they're sort of bunched up and no one's really got away from them. All right, they might not go Champions League football this season. There's still a six point gap to Lyon. I mean, it's possible, but you don't have to argue that Lyon are a far better team than Marseille this season. But they, 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 in another year, perhaps they could have been left behind entirely and they could be struggling to even make the top five, which looks like it would be the, the Europa League and positions this season. Even now, it's, it's, gonna, it's still going to be tough. I think, you know, Sanetian and Montpellier, Ren, if they can somehow manage both that and Europa League are going to be pretty tricky. But they seem to have sort of overcome that, that at least in terms of results, that, that blip. And um, unremarkable or not, I think both wins in, in the last week away at Dijon and at home to Bordeaux are... Uh, will prove pretty crucial. I think it's it's as long as Marseille are winning, you know, they'll at least sort of appease the fans to some extent. If they're getting good, decent enough results, regardless of the style of play, although obviously the fans demand a good start, a positive and, and exciting style of play, at least it lifts that kind of the velodrome being sort of sucking all the life out of the team and, and, and it being a bit of a cavernous kind of stadium and, and, and sort of gets on top of their players. As long as they're sort of performing relatively well that that negates that which is a huge issue for them when when they do get into that situation when they play poorly that that the fans get on top of them and, and it, it really sucks the life out of the team and if they can avoid that then that's that's a, that's a quite a big positive and you could argue that there may even, may even be favorites for fourth now given that Montpellier's forms up and down and, and whether they can sustain um the same number of points that they got in the first half of the year Sinetti and uh, as we mentioned a little bit unsure um, I don't think Nice are good enough to finish in the top five unless unless you know they they sort of pit Montpellier or Sanetian at the end, maybe. And and Ren are gonna struggle with the Europa League. So you could argue that Marseille will probably finish fourth pretty comfortably now. But it, it it's whether they can maintain this slightly improved level of results because the the opposite, you know, it spirals out of control pretty quickly. And, and I think the next five games are absolutely massive. I mean, they've got Amiens at the weekend, which you know they they might want to keep up with the momentum. But that's a game that they expect to win. And then three games against teams around them in Rennes, Saint Etienne, and Nice. You know, pick up wins there, and you start to sort of separate yourselves away just before the big one when they face Le Classique in, in their Paris as well against uh, against their bitter rivals. Uh, uh, sort of mentioning the team just below them that Adam touched on there in Nice. Um, Jez, and we, we sort of mentioned on the preview show that it sort of came to fruition the prediction that we had is that Patrick Vieira wouldn't stand for his team having a 4-0 defeat at Lille and would have respect, expected a reaction, much like we expected um, Leon to be back up a, a great win against a tough opponent with a, a bit of a blip, but Credit to Nice, they they defended well. They put bodies on the line. They they certainly showed a lot more character than they did the week before, and and nicked what could be a vital three points. Uh, yeah, I, I think the stat is that Leon had fifty two shots over the two over the two matches against Nice, and uh, Nice came out one 0 winners in both. And uh, it's it's something that you you kind of in a way you come to expect from both teams now. Um, the way Lyon, the last couple of years, have been that kind of team. Who, you know, one week beat PSG and the next week lose to Nice. And, and this year's Nice under Vieira, um, they're not necessarily the best to watch. But what you need to do is, is look at their defensive record. Only only 23 conceded, and you consider 
you consider that 12 of them have been in, in three matches, three with um, four goal defeats. Um, they're, they're, they're just very solid. And, and we've said before that the problem is that they just they don't have an out and out striker or certainly a competent or, or sort of fully formed one. They've got a couple of young war players, but they don't have a reliable goal scorer. Um, you know, it must be particularly galling for them seeing Balotelli score in two and three. I think it's quite clear that he just couldn't have cared less and was pretty negligent in his attitude at Nice. Um, but as long as you're you're keeping a clean sheet and you're tied to the back, then you've always got a chance to, to win the match. And you know, it was a penalty. I, I, to be honest, I don't really know what Remy Walter does apart from score very good penalties, but that was, that was enough in this match. And and um, you can't really argue, argue with it. Leon didn't put their chances away. Nice put their one, one decent chance away. And, um, you know, there's definitely a bit of hubris there with, with Leon. Leon's official account tweeting that tweeting about their five 0 win last year just before the match, which um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was brought up in the changing room at some point as well. Um, and that's that's what Nice are about this year. And um, I hope that the new ownership stick with Vieira and give him a chance and invest properly in the summer for him because I think he he really is showing that he has the makings of a very good manager. And um, it's probably should be noted as well. Um, that it's those three four four goal defeats that Nice Nice have um, uh, suffered this season. All three of them they've come back immediately with a win, and actually two of them now are against Lyon. So it certainly shows, as you said, partly that um, Vieira probably is you know, he's got a good line in in hair dryer treatment in the changing rooms, but also that the team themselves have got a lot of character and and bounce back ability and, and considering that for the most part they're still a very young team I think that bodes well going forward yeah well if, if, there was never any doubt that Vieira was going to give them a good kick up the backside and at least they showed off what they could do and it's going to make a an interesting race for that Europa League box there's a couple of teams um, still chasing as well let's finish off with my favourite segment, at least, and that's our, our Liga snapshots. And I'll start with you this evening, Adam. And um, what's your news from the Liga this week that maybe we've missed out? Um, I, as perhaps unsurprisingly, I, I thought I'd have a quick uh, look at Angers um, because uh, the win this weekend was was pretty went a little bit under the radio, but radar. But uh, for a team like Angers to, to with the players that are injured, to Pierre Capel, Flavian Tate. Jeff Rainey Adelaide, who, who three of the most important players to go to Strasbourg and win was was a really mightily impressive result. And the thing that got me about it is that it was sort of in the classic Stefan Moulin style, in that he sort of ekes the best out of a, a workmanlike looking team, um, um, minimal resources, and they continually stay up pretty comfortably um, and in mid table even with without much without much excuse me without much um, without many worries at all and. The thing that summed up was the fact that Wilfred Kanga scored both goals. He's a really young striker. Was at PSG and and wasn't wasn't even anywhere near the first team at PSG, obviously, and and left and 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 joined uh, Angers and and he really hasn't been impressive at all. Really, he's been pretty much on the fringes and a bit way when he came into the team. And that was kind of summed up last week when um, on as a sub for the last ten minutes, he skied a, 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 an open goal opportunity really to to make it two 0 against 
against Dijon and you so he sort of collapsed to the ground and and you you could understand his his frustration and for for with for him to start this week and to score both goals it just really shows how, what a good man manager and what a good um how good Mulan is at getting the best out of his players um for him to sort of turn up and, and be the match winner this week and turn it around and two two very good little finishes a really nice little sort of reactive header from another player who, who Mulan is getting the best out of Abdullah Bamba who brilliant little hooked cross in for him to head home and then a, a great ball from Sheik and Doy is another Mulan player you know signed from Kute and um, before he went off to Bern didn't work out and came back and he's been great since he came back and a uh, nice little through ball and, and Kanga sort of started one home so Classic Milan performance um, against the, the, one of the teams that we've been praising so highly so far this season. So, um, you know, more power to Milan, and uh, he deserves deserves more credit. Yeah, it does this a lot, doesn't he? I mean, seven points from the last nine and three wins out of the last five as well. Um, mm. Just shows you Milan just just knows how to get the results just when Angers seem to need them. Uh, Jez, what's your league snapshot? Um, mine's mine's a, a finish as well that I've been talking about, and um, finishes there. But, um, Jordan Ferry has not always been, again, he's a bit of a maligned character when he was at Lyon and um, isn't exactly known for his, for his finishing. But um, in, in Nîmes' comeback at, at Nantes, um, Bobby Sean probably picked, scored the pick of the goals, but I, I, I liked Ferry's goal. Really good shot from distance with his right foot, which was unlucky to come off the post, but he showed brilliant awareness to, um, and movement to, to be in the right place to. to pick up his own rebound still from the edge of the area and score with his left foot instead. Um, it was in a way reminiscent, not really, but in a way of, of Pogba's goal in the World Cup final where he had a shot with one foot that was blocked and scored with the other. But um, yeah, I just, I just thought it was a, a cute finish from a, from a player you wouldn't really expect to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really nice reaction finish, wasn't it? Uh, uh, one that I felt a little bit sorry for the not players for because yeah, they didn't defend greatly, but that one was, was something you can't really do anything about when the ball ricochets straight back to him, but a great reaction from the Neon player. And good to see him playing some good football at Nimu, really striding at the moment, really. They're always good to watch, and um, good to see that they might will. They almost look certain to be in Liga next season as well. Uh, that's all for us this evening. My thanks to Adam, uh, Jess, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show on Thursday with all those results from Europe. And the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.